Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. I'm so, oh man, I'm honored. I'm honored to have my next guest because um, she has really shown up and shown out. <laughs> And um, I'd like to welcome Syra Rao. Welcome to the show. Could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, Syra Rao, 44-year-old Indian-American woman, daughter of Indian immigrants, first-generation American. Live in Denver, Colorado. I own a company called In This Together Media. We produce diverse kids' books. And I actually just ran for Congress in Colorado's Congressional District 1 in the Democratic primary against the 22-year white liberal woman, uh, Democratic incumbent, and I lost, um, experienced profound racism uh, before, during, and after the election. The election took place on June 26th, or a month out since I lost. Um, I have received death threats. I have been thrown under the bus by white liberal Democrats. I've been thrown under the bus by the white liberal media establishment. Hit pieces have been written uh, written about me. I uh, had to get my kids out of town for a couple of weeks. We just got back. And I'm now working on a book called Primary Colored about the white supremacy of the Democratic Party. <sighs> okay, so I'm going to take a breath there, guys, because I want you to understand. I hope you took all of that in of what she just said. I really hope you, that was, okay, I'm just going to get started. Tell us why it's important to cause a scene. <laughs> Well, look, it's important to cause a scene because if you don't, nobody pays attention. And I realize that. So I have been, you know, working in the space of racial justice for the past, you know, six and a half, seven years um, vis-a-vis kids media. And I've been playing by the rules and I've been maintaining a fairly low profile and I haven't caused a scene. And working with the parameters of uh, liberal white supremacist publishing and nobody gives a shit, frankly, <laughs> when you do that, right? You get nowhere. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I wrote an essay last December, so about seven months ago, called I'm a Brown Woman Who's Breaking Up with the Democratic Party. I wrote it. It got published in the Huffington Post. It went viral. It was only then, and boy, did I cause a scene with that. It was only then that people actually stood up and took notice of what I was saying and what I'd been saying. And, um, and certainly are taking notice now because I talk ad nauseum about liberal white supremacy. Well, that goes into the next question of how are you causing the scene? Because um, I, I see it, your followers see it. Um, and now, so you have a, it's interesting um, because you, when you talk about the mainstream media, because you have a profile now, you've gone from a, a book publisher of books for young people to um, running for congressional office in Denver um, Mm -hmm. and then to now, you know, having after that hit piece um, was written about you after. Yeah. Talk, talk, talk to me about that whole Twitter thing. Let's talk about that one tweet. (laughs) Yeah. One tweet. So uh, 
So to give you a sense, I kind of, I had my awakening. I had my, I got woke, I should say, shortly after November 9th, 2016, when I realized slowly but surely that um, the white neoliberal faction of the Democratic Party was not my friend. And um, what I mean by that is... Yeah, I was going to say, explain to what that that definition is. Um, So what I mean by that is I have been a hardcore party activist my whole life. Bill Clinton was the first person I voted for when I was 18. I named my ficus plant Hillary in college. Um, I knocked doors. I I phone banked. I always gave money in college, five and ten dollars to candidates and then more as I was able. And um, never asked for anything in return. Right. Never asked questions, never asked for anything in return. And so last year, February last year, um, 2017, you'll recall that was the first Muslim ban. And Mm. it was chaos. Chaos is a nice word for what happened that weekend. But planes were landing um, in every airport in this country. Families were being ripped apart after being brought together for the first time in in many cases after decades. And um, ice raids were happening all over the country, certainly here in Denver. And one of my best friends, Neethi Pawar, who's the founder of the South Asian Bar Association, did what she always does, which is she was boots on the ground at Denver International Airport fighting for people's civil rights. Um, Our representative here in Denver, in in Colorado's District 1, Diana DeGette, um, Democrat, uh, holds basically one town hall a year. I mean, totally not present in the community. And she happened to hold her one town hall of the year a couple days after that first Muslim ban. Again, remember, ice raids are happening. Communities of color are being terrorized here. Yeah, yeah. And she holds it in the police federation building. Who is not going to show up at the police federation building? I'll give you one guess. Hmm. Brown and black people. Exactly. So roughly a thousand people were there and Neethi was one of six or seven non-white people who showed up. Out of a thousand. Out of over a thousand. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, Diana did what she always does, which is she pontificates about nonsense that she, quote, achieved like 10 years earlier, complete non sequiturs. And Neethi stood up in the audience. It went, she, she caused a scene. She caused yes. a scene. She stood up out of turn. And she said, what are you doing to, um, you know, protect and make your communities of color feel safe? To which she said, why would they feel unsafe? And then she proceeded to say she was unaware of ICE raids happening. Oh, wow. And when Neethi asked about DACA, this is before Trump overturned Obama's executive order, she said, what are you talking about? There's an executive order in place. Nothing's going to happen. We know how that turned out, right? So she sent one of her staff members to throw Neethi out of the building. This is a liberal, democratic woman. So one of her staff members follows up with Neethi, invites Neethi to, to come to their office, at which point they were like, oh, we don't understand. She always votes well. She always votes well. Neethi was like, it's not about voting well. Like, what has she done? Like, we have a huge number of dreamers in Denver. Why hasn't she fought tooth and nail for over 10 years to pass a Clean Dream Act? That should have been her passion project. Um, and they're like, we don't get it. We don't get it. She was like, okay, let me just break it down for you in terms of optics. Uh, this is a safe district. It's one of the safest districts in the country in terms of being blue. There's literally no chance of a Republican winning. Um, why did she stand with Donald on the Donald Trump side during inauguration rather than the John Lewis side? And the guy goes, it was like, ding, 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 ding. He goes, oh, oh my God. Civil rights aren't one of her issues. What? What? Let's sit with that for a minute. Um, 
That right there is, besides being just overtly white supremacist, that is white privilege. We don't have the benefit of civil rights not being one of our issues. That's, it's life or death. I was going to say, it's not even an issue. It's, it's who we it's are. Life it's life or death. <laughs> so that was truly, she, Neethi called me just frantic. And it was like a flip, like a switch flipped off in my brain. Like, oh my God. Oh my God. So certainly I'm thinking maybe she's the anomaly here, right? Yeah. I start digging around, start speaking to um, my my friends in, in brown and black communities and the disabled community here in Denver. And they all were like, oh my God, she's horrible. She like, doesn't care about any of us, right? She cares about her corporate donors. This is all based, I mean, it's white supremacy. It's also based in corporate greed, yep. corruption, yep. taking bribes, all that kind of stuff. Um, and let's be, let's be clear about that. Taking money from corporate PACs is is taking a bribe. That's what it is. So let's just call it what it is. Um, and so anyway, I then got invited by a super liberal white woman here to come to a benefit, uh, to a, a, a fundraiser for Diana. And I went uh, a few months later and she, it was all white people and me, which is, seems to be like a, like a pattern. And, um, uh, same thing. She got up and she was talking about nonsense. She was talking about like mining rights and I don't even know. And I took a friend with me, a white woman, lovely white woman, woke white woman, and she raised her hand. And this is when all the stuff with North Korea was just starting and getting heated up. And we thought we were going to like die at any, at any moment. She raised her hand and she was like, what about North Korea? Diana does, did what she now I've come to find always does, rolls her eyes, folds her arms and was like, ah, we don't have any, like Congress doesn't have anything to do with North Korea. That's great to know that that Congress doesn't have anything to do with foreign policy. I'm sorry, that's a newsflash. Wow. So I got up and left. I actually was like, this is not even worth my time. I'm going to go get some tacos. <laughs> and so uh, that fall, I was a member of a um, pack called Electing Women. Um, the title should actually be White Women Electing White Women. And I like foisted myself onto their national like forum that they had in D.C., which was um, a bunch of white women electing white women all over the country. So it was, mm-hmm. it was women all over the country who met in D.C., and I had the, quote, good fortune of meeting with several sitting United States senators, um, one of whom told me when I asked her, what are you doing about racial justice? Your social media would indicate nothing. And she was, oh, my God, oh, my God. I just posted about hidden figures on Instagram. Oh, Lord, not the hidden figures. That is and, like- and I seriously was like, oh, oh, I'm so happy because otherwise... I would think that you guys weren't doing anything about racial justice. Oh my lord! Now I feel so much better. Exactly. Oh, it's about that, a white that is, movie. Yeah. Oh, that's hey. about as bad as bringing out the "I Have a Dream" speech. Oh lord! Or I've got a black friend, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, I just, seriously, yes. I was like, you can't even make this shit up. Exactly. This that's shit what's up. so funny to me. It's like people, we're not making this up. <laughs> no, no, no. So. I returned to Denver and then had a bunch of, it's so insiderly, insidery baseball, but long story short, Diana made it very clear to me that she could care less about um, us brown and black people. And then her people accused me of, of, of accusing her of being a racist, which I never did, but I am now. Like, I want to be clear. I am not accusing her. I'm stating it as fact. Diana DeGette is the white supremacist. So at that time, um, I wasn't saying that, and and that that was their big concern is that I was making um, this accusation, and so uh, I did what I typically do is I went to pen and paper, and rather than just posting about this on Facebook, um, I actually just wrote a full length essay and sent it to an editor at the Huffington Post. They picked it right up, um, and then kind of the rest is history. 
Okay, so now that leads us into the story. Now let's talk about the the tweet that caused the hail after the story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, absolutely. So, you know, I posted about being tokenized and, and you know, the Democratic Party marrying the white woman and hooking up with me on the side. Oh. And, and then I got a... Uh, a ton, a ton of responses. I was shocked, frankly. Um, and it really mimicked the way this campaign unfolded. It was a bunch of white liberals uh, telling me to fuck off by Felicia, you're a party traitor. Uh, the other extreme, brown, black, white, gay, straight, male, female. We used to think the Democratic Party was a lesser of two evils. Now we think they're worse because they're hypocrites. We're no longer voting which taken to its logical extreme kind of freaked me out at that time. But now I'm kind of on board with withholding the vote when need be, um, which is actually a, a movement that's starting with a lovely woman named Tamara in Georgia. I'll tell you about her later. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the third group, why don't you run against Diana to get, and I'm thinking this is seven months ago. I just want to put mm-hmm. this all into like a timeline. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm like, what? You know, I got two small kids. I, my company is finally taken off. Congress. I'm going to run for Congress. Like, can't we expect more of our representatives? Like, are you just supposed to run for Congress? How do you, how do, you do that? How do you, how do you start run? it? How do you run for Congress? Yeah, because so, that's not something we talk about in our communities. No. And so I just like kind of laugh, laughed about it, put it in my back pocket. And then I went to visit my sister in Austin over Christmas and I couldn't sleep for a whole week. And I realized what was keeping me up at night. The Diana to get to the world, which, by the way, she is not unusually bad. She's bad. She's not unusually bad. But there are billions of her in Congress. These white people who've been there forever, they feel entitled, entitled Mm -hmm. to this job. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're not doing anything. They literally are doing nothing. They're sitting on their hands and we're paying their salaries. Mm -hmm. And they have perfect health care, right? So why should they worry about health care for us? Because their health care is awesome. And they they have perfect pension plans. Pension plans, all of it, right? Um, And so... I just thought to myself, you know what? I have class privilege. I can afford childcare. My husband is supportive. I am able-bodied. I have able-bodied privilege. I can crisscross the district. If I don't at least try to challenge the status quo, that I'm just as bad as she is. Mm-hmm. And so I was one of, if not the last person in America to file for the midterms. I didn't file until the middle of January. Mm. So to give you a sense of the temperature in this country right now, This is white-ass Denver, right, in white-ass Colorado. Here I am, a brown woman. If I had won, I would have been the first woman of color to go to Congress from the state ever in the history Mm. of Colorado. I ran, I'm a Mm -hmm. no-name. At that time, time, now I think I have somewhat more of a name, but um, I uh, was fairly new to Colorado at that point, four and a half years from New York City. No corporate PAC money, running on an explicitly anti-racist platform. Mm-hmm. You would have thought that I would have, it would have been a nothing, right? We were given a, ch- someone said, they're like, we give you a 2% chance of getting more than 12% of the vote. You also have 20 weeks. You have 20 weeks. That's nothing, right? Yeah. We got close to 43,000 votes in 20 wow. weeks. We got one in three votes in wow. 20. 20- wow. wow. If I had an extra month, we would have won because we picked up massive steam at the end. Yeah. If I had an extra two months, we would have crushed her. Mm-hmm. So what this tells me is people are hungry for change. People voted who had never voted before. People voted who hadn't voted in decades. I had this one woman, black woman, I met her. She must've been in her nineties and we were out, you know, knocking doors, which Diana, I don't think has ever done. Um, and the woman said, go away. I, I don't vote. And I said, give me, give me a few minutes. So I talked to her for a few minutes. She goes, you know what? 
I haven't voted. She was like, I'll vote for you. This will be my first vote in 20 years. And it's probably gonna be my last because I'm probably going to drop dead next week. <laughs> but like we were getting people yeah. excited um, because they felt ownership over the message, the yeah. message of equity, the message of justice. And um, so I, I lost. Uh, I, no surprise to me. It, was, it would have been a miracle uh, if I'd pulled that off. But, um, but stuff happened along the way that also made it incredibly hard, which I'll talk about, including um, Diana and the Democratic Party concocting a story that I had engaged in voter suppression, which is a federal crime and frankly defamation. But we'll get back to that. Um, afterwards, my husband, myself and my kids went up to the mountains for a break. And I was doing what a lot of Americans do, which I presume you do quite often, Kim, is I was just going, going through my Twitter feed. Going right? <laughs> through the Twitter feed. Very, very salacious stuff there. <laughs> and I stumbled upon an essay that was making the rounds again this month by Dr. George Yancey, who you probably know. He's you know black professor at Emory mm-hmm. um, since you're in Atlanta. And he wrote an essay for the New York Times that, called, uh, that was called, Should I Give Up on White People? And the gist of it, rhetorical question, but not really, um, the gist of it is here I am, I've been toiling and toiling and toiling for years, and should I give up on on expecting white people to actually uh, fight to dismantle white supremacy? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So again, I did what a lot of private citizens do. I quoted the tweet, I I retweeted it and and added short and long answer, yes. Mm -hmm. All right? It was, one that, it was one that I retweeted. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just not, not that unusual. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, can't even make this stuff up. White male, Democrat, member of the Colorado State Legislator, Legislature, who, by the way, he's an incumbent. He got knocked off the ballot because all these rumors of him doing really sketchy stuff were floating around. So you think that he'd like kind of go away softly into the night with a little humility. Instead, he's trolling me. Mm-hmm. And um, he takes my tweet, again, white male, and accuses me of reverse racism, which, as we know, is not a thing. In order to, be, in order to have racism, you need to not only have prejudice, but you need to have power. Mm-hmm. So by definition, we cannot have reverse racism. Um, and then he tagged a liberal media outlet called Colorado Politics. Mm-hmm. So the next thing you know, my, my cell phone rings, and it's this white reporter, I put reporter in quotes, white male reporter um, from Colorado politics, Joey Bunch. He goes, this is Joey Bunch from Colorado politics. And I just, you know, we, I just saw this tweet and it's really, you know, like pretty, you, you said some really like kind of big things. And I was like, dude, you didn't just discover a secret Egyptian language. You read a public tweet of mine. He was like acting as if though he'd like you know, found something. He yeah, was hidden. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, I stand by what I said. And I was like, look, just like women cannot dismantle misogyny, we literally cannot dismantle misogyny. Men have to do that. So too, white people have to dismantle white supremacy. Brown and black people cannot, by definition. The people who build and benefit from these systems of, of oppression are on the hook for dismantling them. There's no other way. Yeah. He then. He then does the whole, I mean, like the playbook, right? The liberal white supremacist playbook. Um, not all white people. I was, about to say, I was about to say, was it hashtag not all white people? Not all white people. And then he like, you know, unrolled his resume and ticked off all the amazing civil rights journalism he's oh. done. And how he understands and don't tell him about blah, blah, blah. 
And then he, before his parting shot. Was, was he calling for an interview? Because I'm thinking, why is he telling you? Why is, why is he I, giving you? I, I seriously was like, I don't even know what this is about. But then he called me a uh, reverse racist and hung up the phone. I'm like, whatever. These people are so weird, right? Yeah. Next thing you know, my phone blows up. This dude writes a quote story that says former congressional candidate announces she gives up on white people. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, stop, stop, stop right there. Okay, so now you're telling me that it was never an interview. What he did was call you, got got defended, uh, yeah, offended, excuse me. Uh, No, I said when he called me, I was like, are you writing this down? Is this on the record? Like, and he was like, yes. And I was like, that's fine. I'll say whatever, like, I'm going to tell you. But I never thought he was going to do a, like, story. What is the hook? A private, private, so anyway, he does a story. Uh, and all the white liberal Democrats who had been coming for me all along, they too were like, oh, gotcha. We knew yeah. all along. They're yeah. retweeting and blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, Colorado Politics, the media outlet, sends out a blast email to all of their subscribers promoting the story. So thankfully... Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. But I want to, and I want you to pick it up, but I want to draw attention to something. Because yeah. I want to go back to the, the definition of racism. So uh-huh. listeners, please get what she's saying. Racism is race prejudice plus a system in place of power. Mm-hmm. What she just described was, had this article just been written and laid there is one thing. The fact that there is a system in place that could mass blow this out is the system that we're talking about is the power structure that's there. And this is what we're talking about when, when uh, let's do that. This is what I'm talking about when I say there's a system in place to silence brown and black, particularly women on these issues. So when you say you don't understand what's going on, until she said this, I didn't know how this happened. I was wondering how it got to, um, to what's that other publication that that shit right, show. Art and daily yeah, 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 exactly. And so this is how it happens. So it's like you don't see all the stuff that's taking place behind the scenes that is a part of a system of power that helps to suppress and oppress these conversations. And this is why it is on you to dismantle it. Okay, mm-hmm. go ahead. I just, that, wow. That's exactly right. But something, an, an intermediary thing happened. Uh, Michael Harriet at the root. If you all are not reading Michael Harriet at the root, run, don't walk. I would argue that he is probably the most um, powerful writer on race um, of our time. He's a black man who lives in Alabama, and he's also really funny. And so he took this. He he wrote a story about it, and 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 for the root, and and basically Breitbart and the Daily Caller just constantly are lobbying threats against him. They have their eye on him at all times. So he, he's the guy who wrote the five types of Becky that went viral like a year ago. Um, and anyway, his piece was called something like Denver snowflakes melt when former congressional candidate says she gives up on white people. And then he skewers them, totally skewers them. That's when Breitbart and the Daily Caller picked it up. And the next thing you know, it's just open season on me and my my disgusting Muslimness, and a lot of these things were written on my Instagram under a picture of my ten-year-old daughter. Oh uh, wow! So this wasn't enough, right? It wasn't enough for that to happen, right? That wasn't enough. 
Um, on top of it, Denver westward, so again, let's go back to these systems of power. It wasn't enough. They needed to put me back in my place. Yes, that's Denver, what it is. Denver yes. westward, um, progressive, self-proclaimed progressive magazine of Denver hires a, thank you, 20-something meteorologist dude, right? Meteorologist to run a hit piece on me as one of the sorest losers from the primary. Um, the other sore loser is the only other person of color who ran, Joe Salazar, um, Latino guy who lost by w- less than one percentage point in the primary for attorney general. All Joe did to get him on that list of sore losers was wait until all the votes were tallied to make sure that he had wow. back. And, and, that, and, and that close, that, that's any, but anybody would have percentage point. Yeah. And, um, that made him a sore loser, right? So that guy, the meteorologist, you know, astute pol- political commentator that he is, um, said, you know, Syrah Rao once was seen as a highly successful, like, you know, newcomer, progressive. It's too bad. And de- oh, I'm sorry. Death threats are serious, but it's too bad that Syrah has turned to anger and divisiveness. Okay. So what does that tell you? And, and, and number two, the response or just deadening silence from the Democratic Party. Yeah. yeah. You know, because what? this has happened at the same time when uh, Maxine Waters yeah, has spoken out. Yeah, and they, and they, and then oh. the two leaders in the Democratic Party threw her under the bus. Because I remember these bus. things were going at the same time. Because you know why? Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, they threw her under the bus and the rest of her colleagues have remained silent. You know why, Kim? I think you know why. They think she deserved it. Yep, exactly. And, and the reason there's been silence here is they think I deserve it. Yeah. And there's a term for this. It's called victim shaming, right? Victim shaming. So we should be ashamed of standing up against white supremacy. We should be humiliated. This is a way, victim shaming is a classic tactic to silence. Yes. And make us go away. And Maxine Waters, God bless her, she said, you know what? If they shoot, they better shoot straight because nobody likes a wounded animal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, here, people are just like, wait, what? Syrah hasn't gone away. She's still tweeting about this and writing about this. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. oh my God, she's writing a book. I've had people say, why are you just stoking the fire? I'm not stoked. The, the fire has been stoked for centuries. This is what, I, oh, this is what blows my mind. It's just like, people act like, mm, like this is new, so new. This is, you're, you're pulling this out of their butt. It's like, what, what, on what planet did you not? But then again, I look at the, and I said, and I'm not saying anything here that I haven't said. Whiteness is so ignorant to its own history that it is eating itself inside. It's, it's, it's now detrimental to them. And this is where I, one of the main issues is, it's not just that we're coming from them. It's not that people of color are no longer being quiet. We have the same platforms. You can't shut us up at this point. We have access to the same technology. In the past, you had the microphone only, so we only heard your voices. But what the other thing is, you got their whiteness and privilege is now feeling some of the effects Mm -hmm. of the oppression that they've created, and they don't understand what the because the system is it's imploding on itself. That's why they're all freaking out about Donald Trump. Yes, for them, 2016 just happened that night. They don't see any of the things that led up to that. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, they don't even see the language. Like something that really is sort of funny, it'd be ha-ha funny if it wasn't just so dangerous. But they, you know, they freak out. Nothing, nothing makes them angrier um, than being called white, right? Oh, Lord have mercy. 
So how dare you call them white, white person, white man, white woman. However, they are the first to qualify the word trash with white. So they'll say white trash because in their minds, the the default of trash is brown or black trash, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll qualify white trash, but when it comes to people, they, how dare you call them white? And frankly, at this point, I'd be really insulted if someone called me white too. Who wants to be white? You know, not like maybe that's that's not, not to, to 2018, but the whole thing again, when I'm talking about history, when you understand we didn't make this up, you guys made this up and assigned it to yourselves. And then they'll say, well, we didn't. Okay, well, your ancestors, but you've been, right. you're not going to tell me that you have not used the term white to your benefit until this moment. Right. Now that, that that term is is again imploding and eating on itself, right. that now, oh, no, 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 no. But you have you, anybody who is of, because I see, I can't even say it, you see it in little children. But I can tell you, anybody who's of age um, in in this United States, who's a white person, you've used your whiteness to your advantage. Of course, of course. So don't, now want to be girl did you see the what was it called was it without the light people what was that term they was because instead of being white it was absence of light or something oh my god I was like what the, <laughs> what the hell is this or pink people or I'm, I'm yeah. like what the oh man it does not the label and this is the issue the label doesn't matter it's the system and the race prejudice that, that supports the label. So you're getting caught up in words, which means uh, right. they can call you fuchsia. Right. You're still going to act the same way. Right, 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 right. That's right. Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, Intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. Right. I'm still going to act the same way. Right, 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 right. That's right. And you know, it's funny, like sort of before I even came to this place, this was a couple of years ago, my daughter was seven at the time. And, um, she, you know, we've never been to India. We haven't, I mean, I have been many times. We haven't taken our kids to India. My husband's also first generation Indian American. Um, and so she said to me, her best friend is, is a white girl. And she said, why do, why do, why my Indian American, and we'll call her friend, um, Jan, but Jan but Jan is just American. Yes. And, and I was like, Oh my God, she has picked up on. And so I I went through all, and of course I don't do it now. I do the opposite. Um, at that time though, I said, you know, because, because your grandparent, not even me, right? Like at least with me, when my parents, my parents were actually immigrants, um, they had accents. My mom wore a sari. We had Indian food every day. We went to India all the time. Um, for her, she's no, she's no connection. Right. Yeah. Because your grandparents are from India. And she goes, well, where are Jan's grandparents from? Yeah. You know, she was literally getting to, at seven, yep. that race is a construct. Yep. And, and that is, that's everything, right? Yep. And, and, and they don't learn about this in school. I'll tell you what, like, and, and, and this is where we can connect. Um, I'm very happy that I do have this background in publishing because 
publishing, New York City, big New York City publishing is every bit as liberal white supremacist as the Democratic Party. As oh, is yes. They, and you can see by what books they choose. Oh my God, right? Um, and uh, this, I mean, whatever. So a year and a half ago, I went on a deep dive and this will not surprise you, but there's not a single commercial book on uh, the genocide of indigenous people for kids, right? None. Mm-hmm. I called my friend who was raised in, um, in Germany. And I said, when did you first learn about the Holocaust? And he said, I don't remember a time that we didn't know about the Holocaust. Exactly. Right. And so I wanted to do a book on genocide and, um, I knew that no publisher would touch it. So I went and approached the one publisher that is explicitly devoted to publishing diverse kids' books. Of course, it's led by a super liberal white woman, but Mm -hmm. never mind that. Um, Meet with her, and I say, I want to do this book. And she goes, classic. She goes, well, what's the happy ending? Um, Genocide doesn't have a happy ending. People die. There's literally (laughs) no happy ending to genocide. Yeah, yeah, there is no happy ending. (laughs) And she goes, well, what word will we use instead of genocide? And I was like, it's genocide. That's the word that we use. My small children know what genocide is. They can pronounce it. Yeah. They know what it is. Um, and she said, there's absolutely no way that we can do this. So that's what we're up against, right? It starts at infancy and then it just goes from there. So if we can't, if we can't talk about genocide with our kids, then what hope do we have for the future? I mean, I really, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not a rhetorical question, frankly. I mean, it's, it's, I think we know the answer. There is no hope. And yeah. I don't know if you saw um, Ta-Nehisi Coates on um, Stephen Colbert last year. It was fascinating. And, um, you know, at the end of it, Colbert said, you know, you've had some trouble in interviews uh, when people ask you about hope. Uh, can you give some, some words of, of hope here? And he goes, I'm not the person you come to for hope. You have friends that you can go to for hope. You have pastors and ministers you can go to for hope. I don't have any words of hope. And he got, Colbert got pissed. And, and he said something to the effect of, oh, come on. Like, I'm not asking you to make, make up shit. And he goes, I, will ha- I would have to make up shit to Ooh. give you a satisfying answer. Ooh. And like, the show, end- the show ended. <laughs> but that's it. And see, that's... And I'm loving this conversation about this white, white liberalism because I have said it as I've, I've only, I've run from this shit because as a black woman from the South, this is not something I wanted to deal with because this is something I've always had to deal with. And the fact that I was always a only, because my mom wanted to ensure that I had great experiences. So I was always the only. So I grew up just being the only person around white people always trying to explain something that I really didn't understand the context of. And so I really didn't want to go down this road. But when I've gone, come down this road, to me, there are, there are plenty of racists out there. There are, there are plenty of people, well, let's put it this way. There are plenty of people who have racist belief that they act on. There are enough of those. You see it every day. They're not my biggest challenge to uh-huh. that cause a scene and uh-huh. to moving forward. My biggest challenge are white people who uh-huh. think they know what's best for me uh-huh. and, for, and for my experience and who get their feelings hurt. And now that's my fucking fault. It's right. like, wait a minute. Right. Huh? 
Yeah. No, I mean, you, you know, you'll recall, first of all, when you said quoting MLK, I laughed because they love to quote MLK's I have a dream speech, right? They love to quote Gandhi saying, um, uh, be the change you want to see. Mm-hmm. You, know what, you know what speech they never quote from MLK? That I've come to learn that the biggest um, challenge to or roadblock to, to race, you know, racial harmony, blah, 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 is the white moderate, yep. moderate, not the KKK. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Replace moderate with liberal now, yep. and it remains true. And the reason being, look, Republicans, I, Republicans are no peaches. I'm not arguing that. I'm not part of this walk away movement that's like walking away from the Democratic Party and, and right into the hands of the Republican Party. But here's like the analogy that I've been thinking about: um, Republicans are are actively pushing us off the cliff. The Democrats are asking us for money so they can go to Target and buy a slip and slide. And then they want us to help them put together the slip and slide. And the slip and slide is going, leading up to that same cliff. Mm-hmm. And then they, they invite us to slip and slide right off that cliff. And they're, and they're asking for like candy and flowers on our way out. So the, the result is the same, right? Yeah. We're off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the process is different. Yeah. And it's more insidious. And it's closeted and it's whispers and hushes. And see, I'm going to say you, you made yours sound really pretty. I'm going to say for me, it is there's a faction that is definitely pushing us off the cliff. And there's a fraction, a faction of individuals who um, take your hand and say, hey, friend, come with me. And then they push you off the cliff. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that, so it's not even the slip and slide. It is people who mm-hmm. have, are, 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 who are, oh, it's, and it's so heartbreaking for people, particularly black women, because we are the targets of this so often. Um, and and we, I saw this yesterday on a Twitter thing when white women are going to argue with me about suffrage. They're going to sit back and tell me all this crap when, then can we, and there, I have an MA in history. Yes, you have an MA in white history. Right. You do not know any other perspectives. No other perspectives were taught. Black women were intentionally discriminated against in these issues because right. they did not want blacks to have the vote. Right. So when we talk about the quote, women's right to vote, we're talking about the white women's right yes, to vote. Yes, exactly. Susan B. Anthony, that B stands for Becky. That bitch was a, a she did, white woman. Oh my God. If you see some of the... Some of the alternative uh, biographies about her and that whole movement—they're yeah. not pleasant. She's these people were not pleasant. And going back to MLK, whenever I see that, I always drop in that video that was an interview that he did with CBS eleven months before he died, where he says that he was naive because what he's asked his people to do was walk into a burning house, and uh-huh. it, and it's cruel to ask a man with no boots to pull himself up by the bootstraps. Uh-huh. So this is the reason Martin Luther King was killed. He was not killed for the I Have a Dream speech yeah, 40 not. years ago. That, that, now, I, I really don't take a lot of this personally, but that infuriates me because what you yeah. want to do is cast a person who, fought, who had the best intentions, and you refuse to, uh, to acknowledge that over time, he developed. Your, right. your, his experiences with whiteness changed his perspective. Try to play your game and realize that your game was causing harm to the very people that he right. was saying. So, he, and so that's, the thing, that's the thing that gets me because they, they'll use like the, the whole 
blacks or have less IQ points or eugenics. They take these one things in time and don't do, do the, 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 the stuff from there that says, oh yeah, this shit's been debunked. But no, we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, and like, can we also talk about the history of the FBI? I mean, like- Yes, oh my God. Know? Yeah. Um, um, th- th- what's his name? Um, uh, I can't think of his name right now. Um, um, who, was the, who was the FBI guy? They say he used to cross-dress. I can't think, oh my God, what was, let me Google. Um, he went after Al Capone and he couldn't get, the, get him. Um, uh, oh, what is his name? Oh, shoot. Let's just call him John. Yeah, until I can come up with his name. J. Edgar Hoover. That's it. Okay. Yes, J. Edgar Hoover. He was a racist. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, when you talk about the laws and he and his role was to enforce certain laws or to infiltrate certain things and what he did against particularly black people when it came to uh, lynching and oh my god this was the person so when you talk about the history of the fbi that's what i go to the person who was the head of it when it started so when i talk about culture when i go to organizations that is the culture of that right (laughs) <laughs> right. And, and, and just to sort of to, to kind of get a, a full scope of how all these institutions work in tandem, you know, liberals are the first to point their fingers at Fox News. And I want to be clear. I think that Fox News is garbage. OK, let's just be clear about that. Um, but they point their fingers at them saying fake news, fake news. So let's consider this. Maxine Waters does. Let's, let's do like sort of the anatomy of what happened in the past month with Maxine Waters. Um, Maxine Waters said what every single member of Congress should have said um, in relation to the separation of families, right? It is time now, she says to her supporters, you need to confront, she used the word confront, you need to confront Donald Trump and his cronies everywhere you go on this issue. That's what, that's what a leader does, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You got death threats, serious death threats. And Representative Waters does not shy away easily from death threats. She actually canceled appearances after that. So let's mm-hmm. get a sense of, of the, the yeah. breadth of, of those death threats and the credibility. Um, and Schumer and Pelosi were asked, you know, what do you think? And um, they said, respectively, un-American and unacceptable, mm-hmm. right? So they not only threw her under the bus, what, what they actually did is they put a target. I was about to say, her. yeah, they gave permission. They, what they did was give permission. Yes. Mm-hmm. And not a single other member of Congress stood up and denounced that. So then what happens? 200 very prominent African-American women all over the country write a letter to them yes. mm-hmm. demanding an apology. Crickets. Because yeah. they're not even worthy of a response. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. At that time, the New York Times writes a a prominent piece on Al, Alan Dershowitz going to Martha's Vineyard and feeling, quote, shunned. Yes. Because he can't get, like, restaurant recommendations. I can't think of a more a bigger white person problem yes. than not being able to get a, a lobster roll where you want to yeah. go. Yeah. You know how much they covered what Pelosi and Schumer and the Democratic Party did to Maxine Waters? Do you know how much they covered that? Not no. at all. No, not no. at all. No. So the next time a liberal, super liberal white person is, is tweeting about Fox News and memes about Fox News and shame on Fox News and hashtag face fake news. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror at your own media. Go look at the Washington Post. Go look at the New Yorker. Go look at the New York Times. All they do, it's, it's, it's Trump News Network. All they do is talk about Donald Trump. There's not one single critical thinking piece 
about the Democratic Party. And one of the things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add this, because this is something, when people talk about Fox News or whatever, and I don't see this, I see this as entertainment. News to me has turned into entertainment. Right. And so it has been, it, 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 it to me, is incumbent upon people who want to stay informed on whatever topics to do their own research. But then again, I, when I say that, I realize how naive that is because if you look at the history of news, period, I can't speak for anywhere else, but even though I know it's been propaganda, but I'm going to speak for here in the United States, it's always been that way. It's always been tailored to tell specific stories. So when you had um, in, in L.A., a, a socialite or someone who's doing something that they shouldn't be done, be de- shouldn't have done, the, the, the movie studios would pay so they wouldn't go into the news. So right. it's like none of this has been, right. when we talk about bias, there's always been bias. There's always been a slant. There's always been a, frac- a faction of the community, and that's white privilege who creates the news. So right. with that said, I don't, t- I just don't believe... That, I guess that's one reason I look at, so I am a World War II history buff. Oh my God, I am so interested in World War II from so many different angles. But the main one is the five leaders that were, that their personalities, their megalomania, their, um, how each, I mean, we had a U.S. president who was crippled and no one in the United States knew that he couldn't walk. Uh-huh. You had Winston Churchill, who was trying to live out his his great ancestors' um, ability to be a war person. You had um, who who um, Hitler, who had his own issues with insecurities. You had Stalin, who had his own issues with insecurities. You had right. the the prince of the 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 emperor of Japan. And so, when I've looked at that, I've looked at so many different um, war specials about the war, the personalities, all from different people, just so I can get a fuller understanding instead of just from one perspective of this story. So you have people who are telling the story about how Hitler was a drug addict. Then you have to tell the story about Hitler as a um, a cultist. Then you have the story of of, um, Stalin and how he, and so Stalin and Hitler had a lot more in common as youth because they were abused as, you know, you have all of these things so they tell a much richer story. Right. And that's one reason I love that I started the Hashtag Cause of Scene conference because we need to hear these different stories. Right. So, for, so for me, when people say news, it always is a quote for me. Right, right. It's all, it's all subjective, right? Yeah, it's all a quote, quote, quote yeah. for me. And it's something, so right now I'm really interested in the trans um, community and the atrocities that are happening to this group, particularly to women of color who are transgender. Um, right. So what I'm doing is going to different people and getting different perspectives, reading different things historical today so that right. I can get a fuller understanding myself. I don't just rely on one thing. And that's what just right. blows my freaking mind. Right. I challenged my mom when I was little when she said something. Why right. the hell when I do that now? <laughs> and, and you just sort of hit the nail on the head. I think what you're describing is um, a necessary part of fascism. It's just believing you have like one or two sources of news and believing all of it. Yes. And um, we're in it right now. I mean, yes. you're, you're, you're yes. World War II. I don't have to tell you this. Yes. Uh, we're moving much more quickly than um, the axis of evil did. And um, I think, you know, I was out of town the past couple of weeks and saw an old family friend and, 
And I was saying this to him that I think um, he was like, well, do you think that there's going to be a blue wave? First of all, I was like, I could give a shit if there's a blue wave. The blue yeah. wave browns us just yeah. like a red wave does, right? Yes. I want a brown and black wave. I'm yep. waiting for a brown and black wave. Um, but number one, no, we're not going to have a blue wave. We're not. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Who are, who, who are the Democrats inspiring right now? Yeah, this, exactly. It's all redux. It's all fall. It's all November 2016 redux. But that's not the story. The story is we're not going to have a blue wave. We're going to have, we're going to continue having a Republican majority. Donald Trump is just picking up steam, right? Yes, yes, yes. He's going to overturn term limits. He's going to be our president for a third term and a fourth term and a fifth fifth term. We are in a full-blown dictatorship now. And, um, and that's, and and, and that's what's interesting because people are are frantic and I keep saying, look at your history. This is nothing new. It's we've not new. Here. We've been here before. It's not new. And not just we, the whole world throughout yeah. time. Like Americans in 2018 are not impervious to human history. Yes. Right? Like this is, this is who we are. We are due for this. This is, yes. this is totally yes. in line yes. with, with world history. And so um, just like I had a, 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 a close white super liberal white female friend tell me when I was, I was like debilitated for a couple of days after um, the election because I knew what this was going to mean for us, right? For, mm-hmm. for white people, they're like, oh, whatever. Like, it's not going to be that bad, blah, blah, blah. Um, she said to me, stop catastrophizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had predicted early on, my husband even thought I was crazy. I was like, he, Donald Trump is not going to only get the Republican nomination. He's going to win. And he was like, there's literally no chance of that happening. And, and we, we know how that turned out. Mark my words, he will serve more than two terms. He absolutely will. And when you're talking about Muslim bans, when you're talking about trans bans, this is fascism. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about tax-funded ICE, ICE is the Gestapo, right? Mm -hmm. Tax-funded Gestapo with no accountability, created in post 9-11 xenophobic frenzy. Mm -hmm. No accountability, no due process. Mm -hmm. They are the Gestapo, they are not just separating families. They've been, they've been doing this for years. Yeah. Democrats, Democrats, Diana DeGette, our governor here, John Hickenlooper said to my face, ICE has some legitimate uses. We're not going to defund it. Okay, let's take a step back. I bet the Gestapo had some legitimate uses. I, I bet you they rescued some cats of Nazis and, and walked some Aryan women across, the old ladies across the street. But sometimes you can be judged by your one-off. And like committing genocide and caging children, I think you can kind of be judged for that over than your quote, like legitimate causes. So I don't know if any Democrat in Congress who is not killing themselves to defund ICE right now needs to be voted out. Because you know what they're doing? They are propagating fascism and forcing you and me, Kim, to pay, use our tax dollars. We're working, right? We're paying our taxes, right? Our tax dollars, we are paying to fund fascism. Like wrap your mind around that. Yeah, it's it, it's it's in it just I had to take a breath. I'm just sorry. I just had to because what you're saying is is what I've been again, I'm a history buff. And so I'm watching shows and and I'm seeing the same ah, um Joseph Goebbels took uh-huh. over yep. all of any media that was during that time. So the reason Germans who would have fought against these things didn't because they only got one message. Right. 
Um, and when they saw their neighbors being taken, they didn't say anything because they got right. that one message. Right. Um, and so for me, this is what I don't understand. When we, and we, I'm about to go on another tangent. When we talk about trans rights, how, and it goes, to me, it's the same thing, white liberals and feminism. I have, no, I have absolutely no, no use for a feminist message until I, I, there, we make some progress on women of color. I just, I just, there's nothing you can say to me about your white feminism that I want to hear. Well, white feminism wants to kill us, right? Yes, They're exactly. And so. so when I look at, when I look at how trans women, and now we're talking about are they women or women or what are the, wait a minute, they, people said things about women that were, that were in question. I just don't understand how people who have been oppressed can now, can turn around, not, I'm going to take it out the word now because it's, it's not new, but can turn around and oppress others and use that same justification of what people use to oppress them to oppress others. I just don't get it. Um, I'm glad that you brought that up because just this morning in Dame magazine, um, Dr. Patton, Dr. Stacy Patton, um, has written a story, uh, an article called white women aren't afraid of black people. They want power. And it's about just that. So one quote, but white women who are being fucked over by white men's misogyny legislatively and otherwise are most comfortable displacing their rage and disappointment onto black people. It's exactly what you said. They're anxious and don't feel confident handling everyday encounters with people of color. And because they misinterpret situations due to internalized racism, most white women don't have non-white friends. That's her point exactly. So it's like, it's like abuse 101, right? Like husband abuse, abuses wife, wife abuses children, children abuse, um, their pets and then go on to become serial killers. Mm-hmm. So this is it, right? White men, uh, no one's arguing that white men don't abuse the fuck out of white women. They absolutely do. But instead of fighting back, because that's too scary and that's too yes, hard, exactly. they exactly. are fighting the people below them and that's us, right? Mm-hmm. Women of color. Um, what they can't get, the reason we are so scary to them, Kim, those of us brown and black women who are fighting back they don't, they don't understand why we're allowed to do that when they're not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, you just hit on something because I can tell you, I can say whatever I want to a white man and they don't get pissed like white women do when I say it. Oh my God. If I go to... If they're not to, threatened by us though. Yes, That's, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, but, but it, it still gives me a platform to say stuff in, in spaces that need to be said. So right. I use it to my advantage. Right. And you should. Yeah. Um, and, and so every, at every conference I am, I'm speaking at. Now, mind you, organizers bring me in to fuck shit up. They know that I'm coming in to cause a scene. They know that. Right. And there's always some white woman who will report me for code of conduct violation. What did I say? Because, right. because you're, and then their only thing is she, what she said didn't make me feel this or not, right. not, because nothing I say is directed at one person. It's right. always, but, but it always is rooted back to one white woman of all these people. And then, and, and it takes an organizer who understands why I'm there, who believes they know why they brought me there to stand up and say, no, this is not what the issue is. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what the reason you hurt their feelings is because you probably just call them white women and that's enough to get you a uh, risk. Well, no, well, no, I do way more than that. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I do. And I, my job is to come in and make you uncomfortable. But that's enough. Up. But yeah, that's, oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. But I'm going to make you, if that's making you uncomfortable, I'm going to push it even farther. I need you to be real fucking uncomfortable right. by the time I'm right. finished. Right. 
right, right, you, right. If this is going to make you cry, I need you really crying. I need to see some real <laughs> by the time we're done. Because you know what? I don't care about you and your feelings because your feelings are feelings. And as an adult, you should have learned how to manage your own feelings. It's not my responsibility because people right. are dying. People right. are freaking dying. Right. People are dying and children are in cages. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure. So, thank you for having me. Let's keep causing a scene. Yes. Bye-bye. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCauseTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Cause the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.